Welcome to Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's, a patient-centered nonprofit organization. Your host, Meryl Comer, is a co-founder, 24-year caregiver, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. This is Brainstorm, and I'm Meryl Comer. Our guest today is Jane Delgado, President and CEO of the National Alliance for Hispanic Health. She is the author of the Buena Salud Guidebook Series and the Latina Guide to Health. Dr. Delgado, welcome and thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. There's so much to share. The pandemic pushed issues of diversity and equity to the forefront. As a clinical psychologist, what are the immediate and long-term COVID healthcare issues that you project for the Hispanic community? Well, first of all, the most important thing that happened is that we had a greater loss of our length of life than any other community. We have always lived longer than other communities, but because of COVID, our lifespan actually got shortened by two and a half years. So that's one thing. But to add to that, since we lost so many people due to COVID, There was a lot of depression due to just the impact of COVID, of being essential workers and losing family members and and then being unable to go through the rituals, which are part of mourning and closure. There are currently approximately 4 million Latinos over the age of 65 living in the United States who are one and a half times as likely as non-Hispanic whites to develop Alzheimer's. How important is data on longevity and good health outcomes? Well, those data are really important for Hispanics because our rates of Alzheimer's and our aging rates are always going to go up because we live longer than non-Hispanic whites. You know, we live a long time and we suffer. So having good data about what's going on with the families and with the individuals is very important because one of the sad things is that as people adopt the North American lifestyle, they sort of lose those family connections so that a lot of our older Hispanics, even though they were raised in that tradition of family, may not be as connected to their younger family members because the family members have now moved or they live far away. So they may be on their own. So you're looking at the cultural issues and the psychological issues as well. Most definitely. And we know that depression is exacerbated by the idea of having cultural expectations and then the reality of what life in the United States is like, which is not as family-oriented as we once were. The United States used to be very family-oriented, with multi-generational families. But, you know, the concept of the nuclear family was only four people, two parents, and, you know, two kids. It didn't talk about the older generation. So it sort of pushed the conceptual framework that we use for family to a very limited group of people. Dr. Delgado, In your article in the New England Journal of Medicine entitled Beyond Diversity, Time for New Models of Health, you make the point that valuable research data is being lost. 
What is missed when the health profile of black and brown communities are lumped together? Well, first of all, I think that this concept of intersectionality is important to think about. But more important, when you lump the data together, you it's a disservice to the black community and it's a disservice to the Hispanic community because our health issues are different. So for example, non-Hispanic whites and African Americans share that heart disease is the major cause of death. For Hispanics and Asian Americans, the number one cause of death is cancer. So I think that when you lump people together, even though you have to to some degree to get enough numbers, you have to also be able to do both. You have to know when to aggregate, when to disaggregate, and really the move towards personalized medicine shows us that we have to be able to look at that individual and all the factors that define who that person is. What has been the response to your article in the New England Journal of Medicine? It was an excellent response, and it's actually in the 90th percentile of articles that are read. So I was very happy with that because New England Journal of Medicine actually gives you the metrics on those things. So when I looked at it, I said, hey, this is really good. But I think it is that people have to think broadly. So for example, when people talk about diversity or equity, too often they just focus on the Black community, not realizing that diversity and equity is about seeing everybody. So for example, people say, well, women are not a minority. Yeah, that's true. But women have been excluded and they haven't been part of the scientific enterprise in the way that they should be, both as participants, as researchers, and as people who design the whole study. So I think there's lots to say. And the response has been that people have contacted me saying, thank you. I said this 15 years ago. Here's my article and no one responded. So glad that you're saying this. It has been very positive. So we don't want that valuable data that you have really touched on lost. No. You know, when we first worked, when I worked on the Black Minority Health Task Force report that was Secretary Margaret Heckler's, you know, premier report, we didn't know about Hispanics because we didn't have data because I told you 1989 was when we started to collect death certificate data. But we knew something about the Black community and something about the white community We didn't focus on Asians because Asians actually live longer than non-Hispanic whites. And at the time, people were focused on excess deaths and mortality. Well, now we're thinking it's not mortality. We want to know about how people live, not just how they die. So in something like Alzheimer's, it's critical to look at all aspects of a person's health and how they're living and how they're coping. And each person will be different. I like to say each person is their own health universe, and that is a fact. Cardiovascular and diabetes are widespread as health issues in both the Black and Hispanic communities. They're also both independent risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. Are you concerned about the trend lines, and what would we do about it? Well, you know, trend lines are tricky because a lot of data were not collected on Hispanics in the past. So we can't look too far back. Remember that it wasn't until 1989 that the model death certificate had a Hispanic identifier. So it wasn't until the late 90s, the early 2000s that we learned 
when Hispanics died. The issue of diabetes is complex because Hispanics have the highest rates of diabetes, but how that looks at what the impact is not the same because usually people talk about diabetes and cardiovascular disease going hand in hand. For Hispanics, that's not the case because we have lower rates of cardiovascular disease than non-Hispanic whites. So the issue is with Alzheimer's, how does diabetes play into it? What does that mean? What is the profile of other factors that need to be considered in order to understand what's going on with the community? Dr. Delgado, as the author of the Buena Salud guidebook series, talk to us about prevention strategies that you focus on with the Hispanic community that can benefit us all. Well, you know, one of the big things that I'm telling people now, people forget about is you need to sleep. A lot of people don't realize that when getting adequate sleep is important. You need to sleep enough because when you're sleeping, your brain is actually doing important things. It's clearing out the debris from the day. Hormones are getting produced in your body. So you need to sleep. Everyone talks about diet and exercise, and we all hear that, and we know all the products sold. But very few people hear about the importance of sleep. So I would say sleep. For Hispanics, this becomes very important because Hispanics work in lots of jobs where sleep is often compromised because of the hours they have to work and the effort they have to put in to do whatever they're doing. Food preferences in cooking are cultural and steeped in family traditions. What do you say to this generation of Hispanics? What I tell people is there's a reason why the first generation that arrives in the U.S. and maintains Hispanic, let's say, cultural habits actually lives longer than the later generation. And that's because the American lifestyle for eating, although it is rich in choices, we as humans make bad choices. I mean, so it's good to have lots of choices if you make the right ones. The other thing I tell people is, especially Hispanics, and by the way, I use Hispanic because it's gender neutral, is to have people focus on the fact that Hispanics, even though we've always had excess weight, the fact that we live longer than non-Hispanic whites and have less heart disease means that the whole thing about eating and what it means to us is different. And that's okay. The one size fits all model never worked. It surely never worked on clothing. It doesn't work on anything else. And that's how come a lot of the science that we have is so backwards. Because as you know, Hispanics, like women, have been underrepresented, underconsidered, and not included in the major research that drives most of the health enterprise. To me, it's amazing that many of the people talking about Alzheimer's are not women. Share with us your vision of what brain health equity looks like. Oh, it means so many things. It starts from actually from prenatal. So when you tell mothers, for example, not to drink alcohol, that's a very basic thing because of the effects it has on the growing baby. And then you think as children grow, what are they exposed to in terms of visual images, 
food, the environment, and everything. And then as we grow older, what are we doing to maintain our brain health? What are we doing to make sure that we have the stimulation we need, the rest we need, and the diet we need? I think that people don't think about brain health. They think about the muscles because they can see that, but they can't see their brain. And there's a sort of, it's very sad. It's an acceptance. Well, you know, I'm getting older, therefore I forget. Ah, it's okay. Rather than thinking, you know, I need to think about this and, you know, what's going on here and how can I make it better? Because it's not a visual until it's very difficult point. Most people don't think about it. It's like sleep. People don't think about sleep because, oh, it's just sleep. Stigma is a major issue attached to Alzheimer's disease. What role does cultural pride play, along with a reluctance to admit there is a problem for someone to ask for help? Our first step is telling people, look, it's okay to ask for help. Stigma is part of it. But the other thing is even when people know they have a problem, they're reluctant to ask for help. For people who are caregivers, they feel that they have failed if they aren't taking care of the person themselves within the family. Yet asking for help is sometimes what is the best thing for the person that you're caring for. So I think it's stigma is part of it, but also is this idea that you have to solve your own problems, you have to do it yourself. So you combine the two and it makes it very difficult for people to reach out when they really should. So please share the Dr. Delgado priority list for good health. It's no one thing. Of course, the basic healthy diet, exercise, clean air, clean water, safe food, sleep, avoiding toxins, avoiding radiation, things like that. I think there, there's no one thing. What people don't realize is that each person will respond to something in a different way. So it's not just your exposure, but your susceptibility to whatever it is. So someone can like smoke for years and not get lung cancer, even though most people do. So that person is different than your typical person. So I think that we know the vast array of things that we should be doing, but the combination which will work best for each individual, I don't think we're there in knowing what exactly is good for you as opposed to person B. So what I tell people is do the best you can, as much as you can, and what happens will be based on your best ability. I think that's a perfect place to thank you for joining us today. Our guest has been Dr. Jane Delgado, President and CEO of the National Alliance for Hispanic Health. That's it for this edition of Brainstorm. I'm Errol Comer. Thank you for joining us. Us Against Alzheimer's A-List is an online community where people living with dementia, their caregivers, and anyone interested in brain health come together to share their insights. We call it the science of us. Join more than 10,000 A-List members making what matters most heard. Sign up at alistforresearch.org. That's A-List, the number four, research.org. That's it for this edition of Brainstorm. I'm Errol Comer. Thank you for joining us. Support for Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's comes from Karen and Chris Siegel. Subscribe to Brainstorm through your favorite podcast platform and join us for new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of every month.